Okay, let's start this hour with an admission. Sometimes it's better if you just get these things out, you get it out in the open, and that way you can deal with it. I, Jeff MacArthur, have not seen a single second of Stranger Things. Ah, I know. It's incredible, isn't it? And apparently I'm pretty much alone because Netflix has just reported that more than 40 million households have watched Stranger Things 3 in only its first four days. Here's our pop culture expert, Vicki Sparks, to uh, discuss. She joins us here in studio. And uh, Vicki, is there something wrong with me that I haven't seen Stranger Things? Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with you, I guess. You could be fine with having terrible taste and missing out on great shows, but <laughs> you are missing out. Well, what am I missing? What is it about this show? Because I understand it to be two things. One is a throwback to the 80s, yep. which is like a fastball down the middle for me, yeah. being a teenager in the 80s. And two, it's got something to do with the, like the supernatural? or It does, yes. that's an ex- Those are the two prongs of the show, yes. Yeah, it's- but how do those two things meet? How does this make sense? Well, there were aliens in the 80s, obviously. <laughs> um, no, so Stranger Things is basically the story of this town, Hawkins, and it's a group of kids growing up in the 80s there. And they, I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't seen, but they encounter a girl who is has magical abilities, and then they encounter kind of another realm that has some monster-type things like Demogorgons. And okay, so let me fill in the blank, with. and then after that, strange things happen? <laughs> is... That's exactly it. You yeah, have okay, seen yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so why is this thing such a hit? I mean, this is pretty good. 40 million people in just four days. Yeah, it's not too bad. So, I mean, listen, we have to take any of the statistics that Netflix releases about their viewership with a grain of salt because they only release them when they're good, and they release them with no context. So is it great that 40 million people have in the first four days have watched at least 70% of one episode of Stranger Things. Yeah, that's great. But keep in mind, they released it on a long weekend in the States, and it's the third season of probably their most popular original programming. So I don't actually know that those numbers blow me away, to be honest. I mean, that's... Math is not my strong suit, but that's less than half of their overall uh, subscribers watching at least one episode within the first four days. You would think for their most popular original programming you might have half of their people watching it what does it take to impress you vicky takes more sparks more than 40 million in four days yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well and is it hard for netflix to kind of track how many people are really or actually watching because as we know accounts can have multiple users yeah definitely and i think you know you do have to keep that in mind um maybe you're like in my family where there are seven people using one netflix account and if we all individually watch stranger things it still only counts as one so maybe those numbers are much bigger. Um, We don't know because Netflix doesn't release very many numbers very often. So that's the problem. But what they have said is that they don't consider an episode to have been viewed unless you've watched at least 70% of it. That's the one tidbit they will give us. So you can't, you know, turn on and watch the opening credits and have that count. Right. You got to make it through halfway. Now they have said that 18 million people have watched the entire third season in the first four days. That's impressive. That's, you know, eight or ten hours of time that you're committing to uh, the show. And There's been some binge-watching binge yeah, exactly. going on, yeah. All right, since we're talking about uh, Netflix, and you just mentioned you got, what, like seven family members uh, on your account? <laughs> okay, that's a slight exaggeration. Don't come for me, Netflix. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, it has been announced that Friends is leaving uh, Netflix and uh, will be available on a new streaming service uh, owned by uh, AT&T, that they've got uh, the, I guess, rights to, to Friends, yes. and they want it back for their own streaming service. And now they're 
there's some talk as more and more of these streaming services start to pop up, Vic, uh, particularly in the U.S., is this really the answer when it comes to expensive TV, or do you think that uh, we're going to have to buy, like, I don't know, 22 different streaming services to get all our shows, and it's going to be even more expensive than Rogers at the end of the day? Well, I don't think it's crazy to think that eventually we will spend enough on individual subscription services to equal what one big cable bill will have been in the past. But I think that what you have to keep in mind is that we're getting a lot more content for our individual subscription services than we ever did with our, you know, basic cable package plus one expensive package that we ever got in the past. So especially in the states where there are subscriptions like Hulu and this new HBO Max that's going to come out. Um, they do have different things available, and they've also got Disney Plus coming out soon. That's going to revolutionize things in, in the States, and I think that they're going to take how it goes there and then build their international profile from there. So will it come to us in Canada where we end up with, you know, 20 different streaming services? I don't know. Maybe. But I think the licensing deals internationally are a little bit different than the States, so I think we're still more likely to end up with kind of our major Netflix. It's my understanding, and I could be wrong, but it's my understanding that for international customers, Friends is not leaving Netflix oh, because okay. we don't have access to HBO uh, Max that's yeah, coming out. Yeah, because there's a, uh, not a big difference, but there are subtle differences between uh, yeah. Canada Netflix and U.S. Netflix. Yep, also British Netflix. It's all just licensing deals, right? What country uh, Netflix has licensed things for. So um, there are some differences there. So I think that internationally it will have less of an effect. But yeah, if you're American, it's definitely going to get very, very streamlined and you're only going to be able to watch one network uh, on one service at which point you do kind of wonder wasn't cable easier than this at least it didn't have logins for every channel yeah yeah well exactly and i'm wondering if people are going to get like 15 dollars a month to death here that uh, yeah. they think that uh, you know in the states direct tv or hbo cable and that sort of thing is just way too much money yeah. much like we think a lot of people do rogers bell shaw and all that here in this country uh, but uh, you think you're getting a deal, and then all of a sudden, well, I not only need Netflix, but I need AT&T, I need Disney, yeah. I need, and all, whoa, all of a sudden these $15 a month add up pretty quickly. I agree. I think they're counting on people not doing the math, though, right? 15 bucks here and there on a different week every time it goes through. You don't really notice, as opposed to a cable bill that used to be, you know, 150 bucks, and you're like, oh, God, that's awful. 10 subscriptions at 15 bucks a month, you don't notice quite as much. So it feels like you're getting a deal, even though you're not. Kind of like I go to Starbucks and I pay that $4 and whatever for a Misto, and I'm like, okay, uh, with it until I add it up at the end of the week. Oh, I spent how much? Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> All right, a, a play set against the backdrop of the case of an Ontario nurse who killed eight elderly patients has drawn a lot of reaction, particularly from the victims' uh, families. Now, this theater in Blythe, Ontario, just north of London, is staging a show next month that dramatizes the fallout of the murders committed by Elizabeth Wetlofer. Now, she, of course, is serving a life sentence after confessing to killing these eight patients with uh, overdoses and uh, killing uh, four others at long-term care facilities, uh, both in uh, London and in uh, Woodstock. And, Vicky, there's a lot of debate here as to uh, whether or not uh, this should be used uh, you know, as fodder, if you will, for art. Sure. And I think that that's a fair debate to have. Obviously, no one wants to impart any further pain on the families of the victims who have already been through a terrible ordeal. But I think you do have to remember that art generally exists to push the envelope. It exists so that we can have discussions about difficult things in a, in a, an artistic setting. And I think what I've read about the play is that it does not reference uh, Elizabeth. It does not reenact any of the murders. It uses the murders and what happened as a jumping off point to have a larger discussion 
about how we treat the elderly in our community, about long-term care, about the gaps in the system. And I think that that's fair because it is something that has greatly affected this community. And that's something that they talk about in the play. To use it as a jumping off point, I can understand. But of course, they do have to be kind of overly sensitive to to the families well you know art at its best it uh, entertains and it educates right exactly and uh maybe that's uh, obviously what they're trying to do here not so yeah. much entertain but educate uh, people as uh, you were just uh, mentioning but you know there's so many things i mean uh, when i read the story this morning i immediately thought of all of these true crime podcasts and yep. these podcasts that uh, are based on serial killers and uh, I mean, it's not something for me. I, I don't yeah. listen to them, uh, but uh, n- not to judge. But they're like the number one listened to podcast when you uh, look at the downloads they're and the streams. Hugely popular. Um, one of the most popular ones is called My Favorite Murder, where two girls in quite a cheeky and comedic way look at a different kind of serial killer and how they did it every week. And, um, you know, they're not at all mocking the victims of the crime at all, of course, but they are mocking kind of the ridiculousness of what these people do and how they get away with it. Um, And I think, you know, podcasts are hugely popular. Television shows are largely based on things that are ripped from the headlines. Well, look at Law and Order, the the Dick Wolf show, right? I mean, they're famous for that. They just comb the newspapers in the offseason and they find stories that have got a certain interest or appeal uh, to them and they think would appeal to their audience and they write around those. Absolutely. I mean, they always say that truth is stranger than fiction and the fiction elements of entertainment really, really borrow heavily from crime specifically. Um, I mean, in terms of movies, you've got Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile on Netflix right now. That's the Ted Bundy story. Black Mass with Johnny Depp playing Whitey Berger, uh, Bulger. Excuse me. Uh, the Zodiac Killer has a movie. Monster, Charlize Theron won an Oscar for portraying Alien Waros, right. uh, the serial killer. So, I mean, they're, they are incredibly popular and despite the argument that perhaps you're causing further pain to the families of of the victims left behind, um, they continue to dominate entertainment right now. Do you think maybe in this case, in the Wedlofer case, it's the uh, proximity, it's happening right where or very close to uh, where these uh, crimes occurred, and also the, the timing as well. It's not been that long. Yes, I think that's exactly what's making it particularly um, painful for these families right now and sparking a debate of course, you want to be respectful. So perhaps there is a longer period of time that that people find more acceptable. You know, has if it's been 20 years since it's happened, the shine's worn off a bit. People are a little more able to cope with, with the details. Um, in this case, where it is so soon and it is so close to where it happened, I can understand why people uh, are feeling uncomfortable. Um, I did read an article that featured one of the uh, victim's Family members, they spoke and said that they had been contacted by the play and they had been involved and that they had been feeling very hesitant going into the discussion. And by the end, they realized that they were treating this subject matter very sensitively and that they were quite happy with with the discussion. So okay, hopefully so that, it's done in a respectful That's interesting. Way. I was wondering whether or not producers had reached out to some of the uh, victims' families. So Yes, this article I read said that they had, and and they were able to turn most people who were quite hesitant going in around by the end and, and uh, convey to them that they were doing this with respect for their loved ones. All right. Our pop culture expert, Vicki Sparks, in studio with us this afternoon. Vicki, thanks as always. Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you.